Hello, and welcome to the Empowerography Podcast. This is a platform created for women's voices to be heard and a place to share their stories, journeys, and successes with the world for the purpose of helping other women who might be on similar journeys. We are empowering women one episode at a time. I'm your host, Brad Walsh, so kick back, grab one of your favorite beverages, and enjoy the stories. The world needs to hear your message and your story, so don't deny the world of that gift within you that the universe has given you. Someone out there needs to hear your story because it will support them in feeling hope, inspired, and even transformed. Do you want to discover how I help get my clients out of their own way, show up, and confidently share their message? I would love to extend an invitation to you to join me in my free masterclass, Start Your Own Podcast from Idea to Implementation, on Wednesday, April 5th at 1 p.m. Eastern. You can find the registry link in the show notes. Hope to see you there. Hello there, Brad Walsh here, your host of the Empowerography Podcast. Today, my guest is Sarah Willoughby. She is a transformation coach, an infertility coach, a best-selling author, speaker, and Reiki practitioner. Welcome, Sarah. How are you today? I am very well. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm really looking forward to our conversation. Yes, we've been attempting to get this done for a while. So it's nice to finally have you here and have the opportunity to sit down and speak with you and share a little bit about the work you do and your story and your journey. So I'm very excited and happy to dive in. So with that being said, you have quite a few hats that you wear, quite a few labels, a hell of a lot of hats and quite a resume. How do you find the time for all of this and how do you prioritize and how important is prioritization and organization to you? I think it's very important to be organized and to prioritize. But one thing that I have learned is that I structure my diary But I also wake up every day with an open heart and an open mind of what the day is going to present to me. And that's something that I've learned as I've got older to sort of trust my intuition and be guided and to have a bit more flow in Mm -hmm. my life as well. Because otherwise, I think if everything is too structured, when things don't go to plan, you find yourself in a lot of stress. Mm -hmm. So it's a combination of both of those things. I need to be organized. I'm also a mum to three beautiful children as well. Mm -hmm. Put that little hat into the ring. Yeah, well. for sure. And so once I've organized all of them and their activities <laughs> as well, <laughs> you have to be structured and organized, but it's a journey. <laughs> that it is. I'm very curious then with you wearing so many hats, what does your morning routine look like? I think you're going to be surprised by my answer because I think you're going to think I'm going to say, I wake up at 5am and I do <laughs> yoga and I do meditation and And I do all of those things, but I don't do them in the morning. I work across a lot of different time zones, Canada, Mm -hmm. America, as well as Australia and Europe. And therefore, I have to have that flow and flexibility in my life. And And I do those things. I do my quiet time, my yoga, my meditation, my reading in the afternoon. And so I re-energize myself in the afternoon before I then go and pick up my children. So then they get the best of me. And then I actually work quite late. So I'll start working again at nine o'clock at night and probably work through till midnight unless I'm on a middle of the night podcast or, or something like that. So I know for a lot of people, it's very much get up in the morning and they have an hour of journaling and yoga and meditation and all of those beautiful things. But for yeah. me, it's the other way. And I'll do an evening walk if I can okay. as well. Sunset is a really important time for me. You have to do what works for you. And if that's the way things work, then that's, and that's what's aligned for you, then that's the best. Absolutely. I'm a bit of a night owl. So my brain sort of kicks in about seven o'clock at night and I forget <laughs> how, how tired I am and how I should go to bed a bit earlier. 
So, you and me both. You and me both. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what drives, motivates, and inspires you to keep going and excelling at all that you do, Sarah? I think the number one answer to that would be my children, of course. Mm-hmm. I want yeah. to be a really good role model for them and show them what's possible when you live a heart-centered life and you follow your passions and your dreams. But also I'm inspired and motivated by the beautiful people that I work with who go on that journey of self-discovery with me, who are brave enough to do that. And when they have those moments of looking themselves in the eyes and truly seeing themselves for the first time, truly connecting with their own heart and their own soul, that's what drives me. That's what the ripple effect of everybody loving themselves is huge. And when they get that, ah, it's like magic. It's divine. It it, it truly is. I would love to know, Sarah, what you were doing for a living before you made the jump into entrepreneurship and what was the catalyst for that shift for you? Absolutely. So I worked in corporate HR for 10 years. I spent six years studying at university and I was very focused on the academic world and the corporate world. And I sort of worked my way up the corporate ladder. I worked for large multinational global organizations in HR and I got to where I got to and and felt very unfulfilled. It was very stressful. We spent a lot of time putting Band-Aid over people's problems and moving them on and not getting to the root cause of people's issues. And I felt like I was failing. I wasn't able to be the best mum I could be. I had a little boy at that time and mm-hmm. I couldn't be the best employee and I wasn't being the best wife and the and the best person for myself. I wasn't focused on my well-being. And I was feeling like I needed to make a shift out of that environment, but I didn't know what to do. And then at the same time that all of that was unraveling, I was going on this crazy journey to try to complete my family and I guess I got a big kick up the bum and the universe was like, (laughs) if you're not going to leave willingly, then we're going to make this really simple for you and we're going to push you out of that environment. And then that led to my emigration over to Australia and I never went back into the corporate world. I wanted to raise my family and Mm. have that work-life balance and and I began working for myself and using all the skills that I'd learned in the corporate world. I had an amazing training, a lot to be grateful for with that sort of professional experience that has now translated into what I do. Love it. Now, I want to speak a little bit about coaching. I've heard a lot of people say that most, if not all, coaches they've been through, of course, their own personal struggles and journeys that kind of before making the leap into coaching and we've all had our shit to deal with as human beings we all deal with our own personal issues that come up and whatnot but what i've found through conversation is that most of the people that i speak to who are now coaches their struggles and their journeys were the catalysts that shifted them into or making that leap into coaching so can you share a little bit about your journey and how that led to you getting into coaching yeah i think i was always coaching i was coaching when i was working in hr that was a big part of what I did, though I didn't recognize it as such. Mm -hmm. But a big catalyst for me was what I've sort of just alluded to was this crazy journey through secondary infertility, a journey that was full of a lot of loss and grief, heartache. For the first time in my life, I felt like I wasn't in control of anything. I realize now that we're not in control of anything. We can only be in charge of how we respond to situations. But this was the first time that I hadn't succeeded in something I felt like I'd failed and sort of the peak of my story really is that I ended up going through IVF that was in Norway I was living in the UK at the time I'm 
British. And I went over to Norway to complete this fertility treatment. I'd had lots of issues with the sort of medical system in the UK. I'd lost trust and confidence and I wanted to turn this process into a holiday, which it became anything but a holiday, Brad, let me tell you. And yeah, I ended up facing my own mortality and that I had this moment where I did a deal with the universe and I said, if I get out of this, if you give me a second chance at life, I will spend the rest of my life serving. I will spend Mm. the rest of my life facing my own fears and finding my own truth and helping other people to do the same thing. And I'm really proud that I've done that. And that led to seven months later, emigrating over to Australia without jobs, without knowing anybody, beginning a new life. Mm. And within six weeks, I actually fell pregnant with my daughter, who is now 13. And then four years later, had my other little girl, who is now nine, and completed my, yeah, completed my family and just realized that I wanted to raise these incredible human beings that I had spent so long trying to have that I was so blessed to have and I didn't want to go back into the corporate rat race and I wanted to show them a different way of living and and Mm. being, being, not doing. Magical. It's funny the way the universe works, isn't it? It is. I have such gratitude for that journey. It was at the time the most scary, confronting, challenging moments of my life. But geez, I'm so incredibly grateful because (laughs) It took me on this journey to self-love and it took me on this journey back to myself. And without that, I wouldn't be where I am living the life that I am with my children. So what would you say then was the biggest or most valuable takeaway for you from these experiences? Realizing how short life is, realizing Mm -hmm. how important our breath is, that when you literally cannot breathe, that is where we find our answers and we spend so much time focused on what's going on in our mind and not what's going on in our hearts. And we know that our heart is our master thinker. If you look at the work that Greg Braden has done for the, the HeartMath Institute. HeartMath Institute, yeah. It's beautiful. That was a real revolution for me when I understood that because I'd always been driven by my heart but hadn't been given right. permission to follow that because all we're taught through schooling and the academic world is use your brain, think. So that's the work that I do now is encouraging people to feel. The education system, that's a whole other podcast because it's it is, severely it? broken. It's yes. severely broken. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but it's a matter of being able to step into that belief and that knowing that it's here. It all starts here within, yes, right? Absolutely. And the answers to every challenge is within us and mm-hmm. our our breath holds so many answers when we just get still. That's the key is getting being able to get still. A lot of people have a hard time doing that. It's not they easy. Do. I know. And those are the people that need it the most, ironically. I have people. <laughs> I remember talking to a friend and she said, oh, meditation is not for me, Sarah. It's mm. not for me. I'm, I'd much prefer to go pole dancing. And I'm like, you are, <laughs> you are the perfect candidate for meditation. You need it more than anybody else. Yeah. Um, so, the resistors. <laughs> yes, yes. What is it that sets you and the work you do apart from other coaches? Why would they choose to work with you over someone else? I think the way that I work is very tailored. I'm very guided by my intuition. So no two sessions are ever the same. And I could go into a session with somebody thinking that we're going to look at X and we end up looking at Z over here because something that they've said in the conversation has guided us to something else. And we then do that deep dive into really getting to the root cause of people's issues. But I also think I'm a very heart-centered person and I have an Mm -hmm. ability to hold space for people 
and for them yeah. to feel seen and heard. And I think that's a lot of what our journeys are as a human being is yeah. we just want to be seen and heard and understood. 100%. That's the biggest thing is that's all we all want is to yes. be seen and heard. That's it. Yeah. It's not too much. It's not asking for too much. No. It's pretty it's simple. Not. I agree. Transformation is not just about one aspect of life. How do you address and integrate holistic well-being, including physical, mental, and emotional aspects in your coaching approach? So helping people to understand that the mind, body, and spirit are all connected is the starting point because for a lot of people, they don't have that level of awareness. And I certainly didn't before I went on my crazy journey. I didn't really understand that everything was focused very much on the mind and and you knew the basics around your physical care but I was definitely neglecting my spirit in all of that very much so so I take it right back to the basics of let's connect with self and how do we do that and that's different for each person but a lot of people have lost themselves on their journey they may come to work with me thinking that we're going to focus on one aspect and that's what they want to focus on but actually right. what they need is is something very different what we need and what we want are often different things so it's really about opening up people's hearts and minds and we look at all sorts of things meditation mindfulness being out in nature i love doing sessions out in nature at the beach letting things go releasing using nature to support us on our journeys we do a lot of shadow work really deep diving into ourselves and understanding the things that we've been told about ourselves are not necessarily mm -hmm. true and yeah. how can we turn those things those positive aspects or the things that we consider to be positive about ourselves yeah. how can we turn them on the head and understand that they also have a sort of more detrimental aspects to ourselves and others and also the other way around all these things that we believe that are really positive about ourselves maybe they're disturbing us in some way so i basically put everything that i have learned on my journey of coming back to myself into the sessions and and i love it because it's really that first time that people get to reconnect with themselves and most people that come to see me don't like themselves let alone love themselves yeah. mm -hmm. so if we can get to that place of even just having an acceptance of self then that's a beautiful gift that's that a powerful journey i love that how do you define personal transformation and what role does it play in an individual's overall well-being and success Personal transformation for each person is very different. So for some people, a personal transformation may be finally leaving their career that they've been in for a long time and setting up their own business. It might be leaving a relationship. It might be rediscovering who they are if they've lost themselves in motherhood. For some people, it's learning how to deal with anxiety and depression and actually being able to just function day to day and yeah. get back out into the world, particularly since COVID that's impacted mm -hmm. quite a lot of people. So for everybody, it's, I, I honestly believe that the heart of it all is that deep connection back to self. And from that, when somebody starts to like themselves and love themselves, then they can overcome their challenges whatever they are, but everybody's idea of what success is for them is very different. Yeah. And that's what I love about the work. But yeah. when they're connected to themselves in whatever capacity, then their well-being is naturally going to improve. They're going to be much more focused on nurturing themselves rather than berating themselves in the negative monkey chatter mm -hmm. that goes on that yeah, we all have. Sure. They'll learn how to deal with that and be kinder to self. Self is the foundation for everything. Self-love, it all starts within us. And when we 
learn that, it just, it exudes out of you and it impacts everyone around you. It's like you said, it's that huge ripple effect, but it starts within here and doing that work to get to that point. And that's not easy. That's a very long and hard journey. It is. It really is because most people distract themselves from their pain. They don't want to feel the pain. So they find alternative ways of distracting, which is what we've been taught. Today, yeah, um, for sure. Conditioned all the things. Yes, absolutely. The work you're doing is incredibly important. Teaching people that and guiding, helping people get to that point. We all need that. Love mm-hmm. is everything. It's the highest vibration that there is. And we all need it. We and do. we all benefit we from really it. Do. Yes, we do. The ripple effects. When you look at what's going on in the world at the moment and people feel a bit disempowered, you know, how can I change what's going on in the world? Mm-hmm. And I always say to people, it starts with you. Yes. You, Focus you, on you. That's it. Focus on you and then your corner of the world, your people, your tribe that you surround yourself with, it'll ripple out and then it will continue that ripple effect and the change will happen. Yes. But you got to start here within. That's where it all starts. Also transformation, obviously mindset plays a huge part in that shift. Yeah. How do you guide individuals in changing their mindset to overcome limiting beliefs and achieving their goals? We do a lot of work on meditation. That was something that changed my life and saved my life. When I was in ICU, if I hadn't have already learned meditation, I would not be here. And I know that for a fact. So I know how powerful it is. It became a mental battle for me because the doctors couldn't do anything to stop my deterioration. Right. It was a wait and see game. Is, is yeah. her body going to recover and pull through or is it not? And everything slowly started to shut down. And so all I had was what was going on in my mind. And it was the first time that I really started to appreciate my body and be like, my body's actually incredible. Look what it's coping with. And then to come through that. So meditation for me is really important. I integrate that into all of my sessions, Um, mindfulness, helping people to be in the present moment, coming back to the here and now, knowing that's all we have, but the past is gone. We can't change that. And the future may not come about it. But if you want to change your future, you've got to do it right here, right now Mm -hmm. in this moment. And that starts with learning how to get still, learning how to hear your own guidance, learning how to yeah follow your own heart and your own journey. Because when we sit down and really think about it, we've had so many things told to us over the years. Most of us don't know who we are. And sometimes we're following a path that others want for us and that we Mm -hmm. believe we should have for ourselves, but it isn't actually ourselves calling. And that's why we're not happy. Yeah. A completely different path. I mean, the conditioning, growing up, religious, parental, societal, Mm -hmm. all of the things Mm -hmm. play a part in that. It's huge. But again, it, it just ties right back into coming back home to you. Yes. The best decisions that I've made in my life that have changed my life have not been led by logic or and other people have gone, (laughs) you're doing that, you're crazy, you're leaving the UK, you're leaving behind these really good jobs, your family, you're leaving behind all that security to go to live in Australia without jobs. This may not work out. What's wrong with you, Sarah? Are you crazy? Exactly. And I was like, yes, I might be. And I might be coming back at some point, but at least I will have no regret that I didn't try. There you go. 
That's it. I want to keep on this whole mindset path for a minute here and talk a little bit more about the mindset thing and Mm. business and the struggles that go along with all of that. So often we see and hear from experts like yourself who have overcome adversity and transformed through the pain to discover their purpose, which is amazing and powerful in itself because you think Mm. about all the people who never discover what their purpose is in this world. And I think that's horribly sad because we are all here for a purpose. But I would love to hear from you with all that you've gone through and come out the other side, what are some of the struggles and things that you face today, like imposter syndrome, mindset, just to name a couple of things, there are many. And I mean, I'm sure you would agree with me that just because you have gone through your struggles, I have gone, we've all gone through our struggles and been in the trenches and come out the other side. It doesn't mean that the struggles stop. They're still there. We still deal with them. It's just on a different level. Can you share a little Mm -hmm. bit about that through your experience and how you now deal with things? as opposed to how you used to. Absolutely. I think for me, how I deal with things now, if I sort of start the other way around, how I mm-hmm. deal with things now is I'm very guided by my own journey. My, I get still and I really go inside when I'm faced with a challenge and I didn't know how to do that previously. So that has absolutely changed my life and I will make decisions now that people think are crazy and I'll be like there is no logic to this and I know it makes no sense but my intuition my gut my guidance is telling me this doesn't feel right or this is what I need to do and I think those around me have learned that does play out quite well (laughs) most of the time so they've learned to trust me and I also Mm -hmm. care less about their opinion now anyway because it's my journey without being disrespectful but I'm here for this one opportunity and I need to do it my way with love. But in terms of the things, the challenges that still come up, I still have self-doubt. I think that's what it is to be human. I notice it comes up when I'm just starting to feel comfortable with what I'm doing, Brad, when I'm just like, (laughs) yeah, I've got this damn pat. Yep, yep. The universe will go, oh, no, don't get comfortable. (laughs) We need you to grow some more and up level and explore and challenge yourself. And I'm like, really? Can I not just have a little bit of calm (laughs) for a bit longer? Yeah, Yeah. because I'm quite enjoying it here. And they go, no. And it's at that point when I'm on the cusp of something big or something new or something different mm. that you would get really get pushed and challenged and pushed out of your comfort zone. And that's when self-doubt might start to come in. But what yeah. I've learned is that I've got a beautiful tribe of people around me who support me, who encourage me, who you can be really honest and vulnerable with. Mm. And they remind you about why it is that you're doing what you're doing. And and we have that beautiful relationship. I will do the same for them. And I think that's really important. We all need those people in our corner. Oh, for sure. 100%. We can't do this alone and we're not meant to. You have to have a support system in place. It's impossible to do it by yourself. You can't. Yes. Otherwise, it can be quite a lonely experience. And that's what I love about the work that I do is I have this beautiful connection of people globally, all in crazy different time zones. (laughs) But you just feel that connection. And I'm very grateful for that. Yeah, it's beautiful and powerful. What is one tip or takeaway, Sarah, that you could provide that listeners could implement immediately to start reconditioning their minds for the success they want? Start with every day closing your eyes and sitting in silence and just breathing and noticing where you feel your breath in the in your body. Do you feel it in your nose, in your throat, in your chest? And just start to tune into the messages that your body is giving you because that's where you'll find your answers. And it begins with two minutes and then 
as you realize that it's actually quite a beautiful, peaceful experience, you can increase that time that you sit and and eventually get to a point where you might do that for an hour a day and understand that it's in the being, not the doing, that we can actually be more productive. A friend of mine always says we are human beings, not human doings. Yes, I know. Right? We're and not we raised, get caught we're in not that. Raised. Yeah, we're not no. raised to be that, are we? That's what no. I struggled with in the corporate world was it was very much presenteeism, attitude and yeah. work harder all the time and very The hustle culture and, bullshit. Yes. Yeah. 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 It's so detrimental. Yeah. It, it's the exact opposite of what it should be. Mm. Yeah. They want worker bees. They want people mm-hmm. to just go. And again, it's about that journey and coming back to home and learning and figuring out what works for you. And that that mentality is not the way to go. It'll lead you mm-hmm. down a very dark path. Yeah, for sure. Leads to to burnout and stress. And yeah, absolutely. One hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. As mentioned, Sarah, off the top, you are also an infertility coach. Can you share a little bit more about your journey into that and what inspired the decision to become an infertility coach? My journey to become an infertility coach was obviously inspired by my personal journey and what I went through. And I don't want anybody to go through what I went through. If I can help just one woman feel less alone in her journey, Mm -hmm. then my work is done. And so I guess I was inspired to start sharing my experiences and my story. And initially I felt that was all it was going to be. But now I've realized that there are so many people that need support when you look at the statistics globally. And the problem is only seems to be increasing. And I really want to be part of that change and to help break that silence around infertility and that it's just another body part that is not working properly Mm -hmm. and that we don't need to have that silence and that stigma and that shame around it. And the more people you talk to, the more people go meeting. Yeah. When you start speaking about it, how hard was that for you to share your story? I mean, it must have been incredibly hard to share that bit. It's a very personal thing to share. Yes, it's very, it is very raw. And I realized that I needed to follow through with what I'd promised when I lay in ICU, that this was bigger than me, that yeah. if I was given a second chance at life, I was going to be of service. And part of my way to be of service was to, quite frankly, get over myself and my <laughs> ego, <laughs> put yeah. that to one side and say, yeah. as long as I'm sharing from a place of love and authenticity and trying to help, then I'm still on my path. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's part of why we're all here is to help each other to share stories. Storytelling is mm-hmm. such an important thing because if we can help another human being by sharing our story so that they may not have to go through the same struggles that we did, why wouldn't you? It's Again, yeah. it comes back to being in and of service. Yes. And that's why, part of why we're here. Yeah. And it's deeply fulfilling, selfishly deep. Yeah, it is it deeply is. fulfilling it is. to feel that you have connected with another human being and you've helped to change their life in some yeah, way. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Unfortunately, of course, infertility can still carry, as you mentioned, a sense of stigma and shame. How do you work with individuals to overcome societal pressures and feel empowered in their journey? The first thing that I do is I hold space for them to share 
how they're feeling. A lot of people don't have support from family and friends because they don't understand that journey. So right. it's allowing people to understand that their emotions are valid and that those emotions need to be expressed. We need to get them out of our bodies, mm-hmm. giving people permission to cry, giving people permission to be seen and heard and understood is the starting point to develop that trust, to help them to understand that this is just the vehicle. Infertility is just the vehicle that is guiding them back home to self. It's so much deeper than just, I can't have a baby. There's always a, a story underneath that. I don't feel enough. I'm not worthy. I'm not loved. I'm fearful. What are the triggers? What's going on underneath all of that? And so it's that deep dive into childhood stuff and our upbringings and the relationship we have with self. And when we do that work, when we do that mind, body, spirit work, then everything else clears. But it's very much about guiding people and empowering them to find their voice, to self-advocate, to trust their bodies, to listen to the wisdom of their bodies. Because when you're in that medical system, you get pulled in so many different directions and everything is scheduled and so many appointments and it's just crazy. And you don't have time for yourself. You lose yourself even more. Mm-hmm. and you don't like yourself and there's the feelings of failure. And so just to have somebody sit with you and say, hey, I see you, this is hard, but you're not alone and we can get through this together to help this journey become a lot easier is really important. And I wish that I'd had somebody, I wish I'd recognized in myself that I needed that when I was going through it because I didn't understand the magnitude of what was going on for me. You have all these doctors and people telling you, you need to do this. You should do that. You should do this. You should do this. Like you said, you're being pulled in Mm -hmm. so many different directions. I can't even begin to fathom or understand what that must be like. Yes, and particularly because there's that societal pressure of you're a woman and your job here is to be a mother. And when you can't do that, like I said, a lot of women, a lot of people in the corporate world, they've been highly successful in their lives. And then all of a sudden, this is the first thing that they've quote unquote failed at. That's what they feel like. And it's not something you can talk about and you can't talk about it at work because you might lose your job because people don't want you to be pregnant and go off and have a baby. There's so many layers to the infertility journey. And it's something that is being spoken about more. Like here in Australia now, we have miscarriage leave for both the partners, which is awesome. Um, And I'm really happy that that's been recognized, Mm. but it needs to be recognized globally. And that's what we do through conversation, right? We need to start talking about these things that people don't want to talk about or people don't feel comfortable talking about because conversation is the catalyst for change. That's the only way we're going to start to make change in the world is to start talking about these things, shining a light on them, educating people on them. Yes, absolutely. And when we shine a light on those things that are uncomfortable and Mm -hmm. that we're fearful of, we disempower that it it loses its grip on us, loses its hold on us. Yes, it loses its power, its strength. Yes, yeah. And it doesn't take hold of you. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Self-care is crucial during fertility challenges. What are some practical self-care strategies that you recommend to individuals to help them cope with stress and maintaining a positive mindset? We have some of the obvious ones that I've already mentioned, meditation, mindfulness, Mm -hmm. being in nature. One of the biggest self care things that we can do is to learn how to say no and Mm. learn what our boundaries are when you're 
on this journey, you have so much pressure to be all things to all people and mm-hmm. still go to your friend's child's birthday party when you've just found out you've had a miscarriage and attend a Christmas function that's surrounded by children and you've just been through another failed IVF cycle. And when we learn that we need to preserve our own energy and we need to look after ourselves first, then we can re-energize from within and we can okay. be there in the way that we want to for other people. But I was blindly saying yes to everything and everybody mm-hmm. when I was on my journey because I didn't want to admit that I was struggling. And you don't want to disappoint people. Exactly. It's really tough, but we need to set some boundaries when we're going through challenges. And and saying no is sometimes the biggest gift you can give to somebody else, though we don't recognize it as that. And And speaking our truth and and being authentic. No is a full sentence. (laughs) Seriously, Because you think about it, when we say no to someone, we always feel the need to further that with an explanation as to why. And we don't have to. Yes, I talk to my clients about that. When they'll say, oh, I'm going to say no, and then I'm going to say X, Y, Z. And I'm like, no, because then they think it's more, there's all these excuses. And then you're giving them more things that they can work with to solve for you so that you can still go (laughs) when you actually just fundamentally don't want to go because it's not right for you. So as long as you're saying no from a space of love, you can do no more. That's right. Sadly, of course, infertility journeys may involve loss. So how do you support individuals in dealing with the grief and emotional impact of miscarriages or unsuccessful fertility treatments? The starting point is listening and allowing emotions to be released. Uh, People spend a lot of time crying in my company And I absolutely love that (laughs) because it means that they're getting their feelings out of their body. They're not stuck. They're not stagnant. We need emotions to move. But the other thing that I do, which I love, I hold ceremonies, miscarriage ceremonies, rituals for people to honor their losses because a lot of people are not given permission to grieve properly yeah. or it was just you're just told it was just a group of cells oh it had something wrong with it it's better yeah. that it wasn't born oh they say oh you can have another one and nobody really <laughs> truly knows what you've been through to get to that no. point of even conceiving yeah. let alone carrying a baby till full term so i think it's really important as part of the grieving process to honor and really feel that you're not just grieving for what you've lost you're grieving for what you may never have You're grieving for the role that you thought you were going to play as a mother and you may never have that opportunity to drop your child at school for their first day. You may never have the opportunity to see a child have a a beautiful relationship with a partner or whatever it is that you have envisaged in your mind. So there's so much grief with miscarriage. It isn't just about that moment. It's about all the moments that you had imagined were coming for you and your family and your future as well. So that's a really beautiful experience that I like to share with people and encourage them to do. If they don't want to do it with me, encourage them to do it at home by themselves. So we sort of help them to work out. Yeah, help them to work out what it is that would resonate with them that would Mm -hmm. help. Some people need to do it alone. Some people want to have their family with them. Some people want to do it outdoors in nature. Some people want to do it indoors and somewhere quiet. And it's different for each of us. But that was one of the biggest gifts I was given was when I had 
my first missed miscarriage, which mm-hmm. shook my world. I was so devastated after I'd had my DNC and I was coming out of the general anesthetic. I was devastated because I was yeah. right back at this journey of trying to have another baby and I didn't know whether I could. And the nurse asked me, do you want to speak to the chaplain and I wasn't religious I'm spiritual but I'm not religious but I said yes and that lady was absolutely divine and she sat with me and she said I'm sorry you've lost your baby and she actually acknowledged it and then she phoned me three days later and she said wow would you like to have a funeral service and we actually had a proper funeral service with the tiniest coffin you'll ever see with Mm -hmm. a baby Willoughby inscribed on a plaque on the top which my ex-husband carried down the the chapel we had a a proper full-on service and it helped me to grieve and move on I didn't do that when I lost my twins I was there was so much going on I was emigrating over to Australia and I just almost lost my life and there were just a lot to process and I felt I was in a better place and I didn't need to do that the second time but the first time I would love to actually be able to go and find that lady and say thank you Sounds like a beautifully healing process. It was. It really was. Powerful. Okay, I want to shift gears here a little bit and speak a bit about your journey into the world of becoming an author. Was becoming an author something that was a bucket list item for you in terms of what you wanted to accomplish? And also, has writing always been a part of who you are? I mean, did you always write growing up or did you just start writing as you got into your adult years? Is it fairly new for you? I loved reading as a child and I also really enjoyed writing. And I have this beautiful memory of when I was about seven years old, when I lived in the UK and we had the long summer nights and I was supposed to be in bed. It would have been like seven o'clock at night and I would have supposed <laughs> to be in bed. And I was stood at my bedroom window catching the last light writing this really what I thought was a really long story because it took me three (laughs) nights to write, trying to hide from my dad who was in the garden. And if he looked up, he would have seen I was out of bed and it would have been in trouble, but writing Mm. this story. And I really remember that and thinking, wow, there's something here. So it's always been a part of me. It probably from the point that I decided that I knew what I was going to write my book about because I'd always known I wanted to write a book, but I didn't know what about. I'm just, who am I to write a book? Everything's yeah, already all the written. things pops up. Yep. Yes. Yep. All the the saboteurs come and yep. and hijack your mind. When mm-hmm. I finally understood that writing my book was about telling my story to support other people with their journeys, I it took me five years from the point wow. that I started writing it to the point that it was actually published and out in the world was a five year process in the end. Because the first time I sat down to write, I wrote about 12,000 words. I sat and wrote Mm. for hours and hours and hours, just nonstop. And I naively thought that my book's almost written, Brad. My book's (laughs) almost finished. Then I realized I had to get an editor and and then it Mm. had to change all the structure. And it was a very long process. And then amongst all of that, my my dad died, my marriage ended, we had COVID, my mum was diagnosed with terminal cancer and various other things. And there was just a lot going on. So I'm really proud that throughout all of that, I still kept my focus and I managed to secure a publisher, a New York publisher, and get my book out into the world. So, Congratulations. And so you should be proud. Can you share what the title is, where people can pick it up? And of course, I'll put that information in the show notes when we release your episode. But if you could share a little bit about that, the title, where they can get it. Yeah, thank you. So my mm-hmm. book's called Infertility Saved My Life. Healing PCOS from the Inside Out. And it's available from all the major online retailers, bookstores. Yeah. 
basically everywhere. The first part of it is in two parts. The first part of my book is my story. It's my memoir. It's my journey from the point that I was diagnosed with the point that my period started and I started becoming a woman, realizing there was something wrong with my body to the point that I had my third child. And then the second part of the book is it's like all the tools, wisdom, techniques, insight that I learned along the way, practical things to help people on their journey to support them through that journey to becoming a parent. So, yeah, I'm excited that it's out in the world. And I'm sure you are. And so you should be. So, like I said, we'll put the, the links in the show notes to the book. So. Thank you for sharing that. Sarah, what do you think your unique skill set or superpower is that's helped you become successful? I think I feel very deeply and I am able to connect with people on a soul level and see people for who they truly are beyond their behaviors, the mistakes that they may have made and help them to tune into that. Yeah. I think that's a real gift when, for sure. when people can feel what I feel about them maybe for the first Mm. time in their lives. Now, speaking of success, how do you define that word? What does the word success mean to you? Success for me is feeling peaceful, doing what I love and helping other people to do the same thing. Plain and simple. That's it. What would you say is one of the most important things you've learned in your life? And what was your life like before you learned it? What was your life like after learning it? I've already touched on it already. This idea of all we have is the here and now. My life before that was very structured, very Mm -hmm. go, busy, always trying to achieve, always trying to aspire to the next thing. And I was missing the beautiful moments that were transpiring with my son at the time. Mm -hmm. I wasn't living. I wasn't thriving. I was just surviving. My life has changed because I'm much more present and I have the most beautiful relationship with my three children. And I'm very deeply grateful for that. Gratitude is a huge piece To be grateful for all that we have. Thank you for sharing that. What does the word empowerment mean to you, Sarah? Empowerment is about self-confidence, self-belief, is about realizing who you really are, that you have everything inside you so that you can overcome any challenge, any problem that you face. What is an unexpected blessing or occurrence in your life that you're grateful for? I think a lot of the big challenges I've had have been unexpected, but Probably a big one was emigrating to Australia. I would never have thought that as a child, that I would be living 17,000 kilometers away (laughs) from home, the side of the world. And that's been a real gift to realize that we don't need to settle in life, that we can Mm -hmm. go after our dreams and that the universe will co-create with us and things can transpire in ways that we couldn't even imagine. (laughs) That's beautiful. What challenge in your life would you say has shaped you the most? There's been a few probably. I mean, the infertility one was a a big one. Obviously, that saw me gasping for breath, lying in ICU, Mm -hmm. wondering, feeling like if this is it, I've got so many regrets and feeling sad about that. But grief has played a big part in my life too, losing both of my parents. Last year, I lost my mum, my father-in-law five days later, and a client and friend a few weeks later. So three people, and then I had seven friends diagnosed with breast cancer within a number of months. And I was on the other side of the world. I was in the UK dealing with all of that and my family were over here and didn't see my children for pretty much three months that was tough but again I've learned so much and I've grown so much through all of that and I'm grateful 
And that's the key, right, is to be able to, I think, when we go through those tough things like that, to be able to take a step back and look in at the situation and see that there are silver linings, there are lessons there, there are things that we can take away from those experiences as painful and as shitty as some of them are. There's always a lesson in there. There's always a silver lining in there somewhere. You just have to look for it. You have to look yes. harder with some more than others, but it is there. Yes. And for me, it was the kindness of strangers. Those people mm. that were with, with me as, I, as my mom was taking her last breath, just the connection of those people that I didn't even know that were good friends with my mom who embraced me and and supported me during those times. I have huge gratitude for that. Okay. We're going to jump into a little rapid fire section here. So the next grouping of questions, just be one, two, three word answer type thing. How would you describe yourself in one word? Resilient. If you could teach the world one thing, what would it be? Compassion and follow your heart. What is one thing you want, but cannot buy with money? Connection. What is one thing you love about yourself that is not related to your physical appearance? I love my heart and how deeply I feel. I also love my sense of humor. It's a bit crazy at times, but it makes me laugh anyway. <laughs> That's, hey, if you can laugh at yourself, I mean, exactly. you're halfway there, right? What is your favorite self-care practice? It has become saying no, and I'm really being firm now in what it is that I want my life to look like. Not bending for other people just to make them feel better. If you could be remembered for one thing, what would it be? Spreading love. That concludes our rapid fire section. Now back to our regularly scheduled program. (laughs) What is one lesson that your career has taught you that you think everybody should learn at some point in their life? That on the other side of fear of taking those massive risks in life is just the most incredible journey. Be brave. What is your why, Sarah? My why is to ease suffering and leave the world better than I found it. If you could step into my shoes, what question would you have asked yourself that I didn't ask you? Oh, you've asked me so many great questions, Brad. I don't know that there's many left. Maybe what I'm going to do next, what I'm focused on for the future, maybe something like that. Okay, go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. You had to to know that was coming. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would love for my book to be turned into a film. So I have started that process and I need to dive into it more. Yes, so that's on the agenda. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. Organizing retreats. I definitely want to take women all around the world and just deep dive into that beautiful journey of self-discovery. That's also on there. Just, yeah, there's so many things, Brad. I need to clone myself. (laughs) I feel your pain. I know exactly what you're talking about. What's something surprising that you've learned about yourself in the last year? How strong we actually are when we have to be. When our backs are up the wall and we have no choice and we feel like we've got nothing left to give, that's when we really truly find ourselves. If you had the opportunity to sit down and have a one-hour conversation with one woman, any woman in the world, who would it be and why? The obvious one is Oprah Winfrey. I think she's incredible. I've been, I was watching her since I was a young child when I was living Mm. in the UK on TV. But the person who resonates with me more at the moment would probably be Michelle Obama. Okay. When I was debating whether I was going to write my book and put it out into the world, which felt very vulnerable at the time, I remember hearing on the radio, it was when her book was released and she was talking about her journey through miscarriage and IVF. And I would Mm. love to say thank you to her because her sharing that story made me realize that I needed to share mine. 
That is mm-hmm. powerful. Yeah. Sarah, if you could go back and give your younger self one piece of advice, what would that piece of advice be? Follow your heart and find the moments of joy. Hold on to those moments of joy. Bring that balance into your life and know that you are worthy and you deserve to be happy. Beautifully said. Lastly, sir, if you were to deliver your last 30-second speech to the world, your tribe, your people, your corner of the world, what would that last 30 seconds sound like? What words of wisdom would you impart? It would probably start with you're enough. Trust yourself. Trust your heart. Know that you're here for a reason and that only you with guidance from others can help find that, but it's worth going on that self-discovery journey to really fulfill your true potential and follow your soul's calling. Because once you find that path, you will never look back and Mm -hmm. you will always be guided home to the most beautiful self that you are. Beautifully said. Beautiful way to end the interview, Sarah. Thank you so very much for your vulnerability, first and foremost, for sharing your story and your journey. I know it's a very personal story, so thank you for sharing that. Thank you for being here and just being a guest on the podcast. It is an absolute honor to have had this time and this opportunity to sit down and speak with you and share in your journey and your story and the beautiful light you put into the world through the work you're doing to help all the women out in the world that you're helping. So keep shining that bright, beautiful light. And thank you so much for being here with me today. I appreciate you. I appreciate you so much too. Thank you for having me. I have loved our conversation. And thank you for holding space for women like me all around the world to share their stories, to know that they matter, that they have a voice and that their stories need to be heard. So thank you for all you're doing. You are making the world a much better place. (laughs) Thank you for that. I receive that. Thank you. I'm learning to receive. So thank you. (laughs) I appreciate (laughs) and love that reflection. Sarah, could you please share with people where they can connect with you, share with the listeners where they can find you, connect with you, learn more about who you are and the work you do and if they want to work with you. Absolutely. My website is sarahwillaby.com and I'm also on LinkedIn, Sarah Willoughby 2019. Facebook and Instagram, Sarah Willoughby Australia. So basically search my name and you'll find me. People can book a free 30-minute consultation to have a chat on my website and yeah, I love connecting with people. So do beautiful. come and say hi. <laughs> I'll put all that information in the show notes, of course, for people to see where they can connect with you as well. So thank you once again, Sarah. I appreciate you. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show and I thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. Likewise. Thank you. Once again, my name is Brad Walsh, host of your Empowerography podcast. Today, my guest has been Sarah Willoughby. She is a transformation coach, an infertility coach, a best-selling author, speaker, and Reiki practitioner. Thank you so much, Sarah. I hope you have a wonderful rest of the day. Thank you. Take care. Thank you very much for listening to this podcast. If you haven't yet, please be sure to subscribe, rate, review, and share with all your friends. You can find me at visuphoria.ca. Follow me on Instagram at Empowerography Podcast and on Facebook at Empowerography. Please join me next time for another inspirational story from yet another amazing woman.